any brand that was paying to promote a TikTok hashtag challenge, they could now include a catalog of relevant products within the hashtag page. Um, and it would just be in a separate tab, um, which was just called a discover page. So you would essentially see all the content that users had submitted for that hashtag challenge. And then you could just go over to the next tab and shop any relevant products um, with that particular hashtag. Welcome back to another episode of the Digital Deep Dive Podcast. I'm Lachlan Kirkwood, and of course, I'm accompanied here by Luke Chapman. How are you doing this week, Luke? I am doing very well. Lucky week number 13 for us. (laughs) We've made it again to another significant number. Um, This week, we're going to try something a little different. Um, We're going to try and keep this episode a bit shorter, actually. Um, as much as we love to ramble Which we say every week. Every week. Um, normally, we're pretty stoked if we can make it under, you know, 50 minutes these days. But we're going to try and keep this one relatively short. We've just um, been asking our listeners, I guess, kind of their feedback. And some people have actually just mentioned that they prefer shorter insights with kind of more snackable content for, like, their commutes. So, yeah, we're going to try this out. And by all means, if you enjoy the format, let us know and give us any feedback, of course. Um, and before we dive into this episode, um, if you could take a moment to give us a review, if you really enjoy the content of this episode, just jump onto your podcast platform of choice, whether that's um, Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else. Um, yeah, we'd really appreciate if you could give us a review. And without further ado, let's take a deep dive. So Luke, did you have anything you wanted to cover in particular this week in the world of digital marketing? Yeah, there's been a little bit of news this week, but I thought I'd just pick out two little nuggets of gold to share that might be interesting to people. So the first one, just a little short update, uh, but it's a bit of a developing news story, I guess. Um, Some people out there, if you're in the SEO world, you might know Dan Petrovich, uh, who is actually from Brisbane here. Uh, I've worked with him, well, years ago. Um, He's helped me out and I used to join some online forums and uh, webinars and things like that. Uh, He's a really great technical SEO, runs a company called Dijan uh, Marketing in Brisbane here uh, and Melbourne and maybe Sydney as well. But interestingly, um, he's done heaps of great experiments in the past and always shares his experiments as they're happening and, and the results of those in terms of trying out things and seeing how Google reacts to them. But I saw a tweet from him earlier this week saying, someone at Google has just issued a manual action for the entire Dijan SEO domain for unnatural links. I haven't built a single link in probably five years. And if there was anything suspicious, it was added to our disavow file. So his whole domain got hit with a manual penalty by Google. It's entirely dropped out of the Google search results. So, and he hasn't been doing link building. All these SEOs from around the world have been looking at the backlink profile, trying to find anything in there that would have caused uh, a manual penalty and not just for a, you know, a particular page or anything, but the entire site. Keep in mind that's someone's business and that's you know not an excuse. Um, there's plenty of online businesses that have been hit by penalties in the past, but in this case, it's kind of a question of, all right, well, what is it? It doesn't really tell you specifically what the what the penalty was for so 
Um, <clears throat> he did talk about how probably five five plus years ago he did some experiments which could be seen as uh, spammy links, but you know they were added to the disavow file. Um, but what I thought was really interesting is in classic Dan fashion, he <laughs> he's turned this into another experiment. So he's got another domain. Uh, I think it's dijanmarketing.com.au, but he's actually going to request everyone who has legitimately linked to his old website, if it's a you know quality relevant link, that they change that link to point to the new um, dijanmarketing.com.au domain. And yeah, it's an experiment. He's going to see how quickly that'll rank in Google. Will it rank? Will it, you know, raise any questions in terms of getting a manual penalty for that one? But it's a little bit worrying uh, for the fact that, you know, the only links that really showed up were ones that didn't really seem that spammy and are things that Google has told people before, oh, don't worry about this. You know, it's a there's nothing to worry about. You don't even need to disavow it in, in half the um, cases. So people are sort of asking questions, saying, is this an anti-SEO thing? I Myself, I probably wouldn't think of it that way. I wonder if it's just someone's gotten a bit overzealous with the, the manual penalty button at Google. Um, but I'm definitely keeping a close eye on this one and I'll let you know what happens with it in a, in a future update. Um, but he's, I can link to it in the show notes. He's actually been publishing um, updates each day on his blog on his new website uh, so you can follow along at home and (laughs) see what's happening there. Um, But it's a little bit scary, I'll be honest. Um, You know, if it's the case where you are not doing anything wrong necessarily and can just get hit with a manual penalty with no explanation and your entire site just drops out of Google, yeah, it's it's scary. So that's why I'll be following this one closely and I'll share any um, insights and outcomes out of that one with you. The second piece of news that I had for you this week is to do with Google Ads. So they've introduced a new metric called relative mobile conversion rate. It's uh, it's a thing that they've talked about for a long time, comparing your desktop conversion rate with your mobile conversion rate. But now they've actually introduced a metric into Google Ads so that you can see it uh, without having to do that calculation yourself. So... I think it comes up as uh, rel MCVR, so it's full. The full term is relative mobile conversion rate, but it's essentially just taking, um, it's dividing the mobile conversion rate by the desktop conversion rate, uh, and that'll give you a percentage. So, for example, if you're um, there's a, a blog post announcing this on the Google blog, so the example they give is the conversion rate for. Mobile is 1.79%, desktop is 4.44%, and then your relative conversion rate is about 40% there. So it also takes into account traffic share. Um, So if you've got higher traffic share for mobile with lower conversion rates, you know, that's something you need to look at. So um, conversion rates are influenced by a whole lot of things. It could be how you're actually promoting things, um, how your site is set up. So do you have a mobile-friendly site or is it a mobile-first site even? But I think also it will depend on the type of industry you're in and and the products or services that you're selling. So a good example is um, the travel industry. So I spent a few years working in in the travel industry with a few sites and there's a a kind of a, a journey that customers go on there when you're, say you're looking at taking a holiday somewhere. Um, you might start off by 
seeing some photos on Instagram or videos of, you know, amazing travel photos. And then you, you're on your phone. So you go to Google and you search for, I don't know, vacation in the Bahamas or something like that. So you're starting off that, that journey, um, really doing your research on mobile. And then you might go back and forth between different devices, between your mobile, your desktop, laptop, maybe even a, an iPad or something like that while you're sitting in front of the TV and researching. Um, but what it came down to in the past, at least, is that the final transaction, so the actual booking, once you're booking your flight or your hotel or anything like that, a lot of that or most of that was actually done on a desktop or a laptop, so not on the mobile device itself. Um, people seem to just trust desktop versions of sites a bit more that is changing so that's coming down mobile conversion rates are going up um, but i think that's something to just be aware of when you're looking at mobile versus desktop conversion rate if you're just tracking you know with last click attribution and in terms of where someone's actually you know completing that purchase a lot of the time that might be on desktop especially in some industries more than others and maybe maybe it depends on um on the value of the conversion as well. So if I'm just buying, I don't know, some cheap Chinese, um, you know, $2 item on AliExpress, I'm quite happy to do that on my mobile while I'm sitting in front of the TV. But if I'm spending thousands of dollars on a flight, I've got a couple of tabs open on my laptop and I'm double checking all the figures and making sure my credit card details are right. And I just find that a bit easier on a desktop or a laptop computer. And I think Probably a lot of people feel that same way as evidenced in the in the figures. So maybe, yeah, maybe your mobile conversion rate will never be 100% of what your desktop conversion rate will be. But it's very interesting to start looking at that, looking at your traffic share versus your conversion rate and start digging into those things. So this, um, you know, this new metric in Google Ads will be really helpful in doing that. And you might quickly see, for example, that you've got a lot of traffic on mobile, but a really low conversion rate. So that's... Um, that's a good way to then start digging into, okay, what is it? Is it our mobile site sucks? You know, maybe our mobile site or our site's not mobile friendly um, and people are uh, sort of bouncing on mobile can have a look into Google Analytics then to dig down into into different things. Um, but it's a good way to, to start looking at the stats and then doing some A-B testing on your mobile site um, to try and improve that mobile conversion rate, for example, if if that's the case, that your mobile conversion is a lot lower than your desktop conversion, and set some goals. You know, like if you if you currently have, um, say, your mobile conversion rate is only twenty percent of what your desktop conversion rate is, set a goal to get it up to fifty percent to start with. Start running some tests um, on your mobile site uh, and with your ads targeting mobile and thinking about the experience that the customer is undertaking um, when they're on mobile at that part of the journey and uh, yeah try and lift it up to at least half to start with and I'd probably be aiming for in most cases you know maybe 60 or 70 percent of what your desktop conversion rate is but yeah like I said it will depend on industry and value of purchase and type of products and services and that sort of thing um, but definitely helpful to have that metric in Google Ads now. So those are the two things that I thought were quite interesting out of this week's news that I've been following. What about you, Lachlan? What have you got for us this week? Yeah, look, I'm just going to keep it pretty short myself this week in kind of the world of social. Um, but right after we finished recording last week's episode and before we got to actually share that across um, 
Okay, I linked a profile on Twitter. Uh, Facebook had a pretty big announcement, I'm sure you possibly heard, Luke, um, about the off-Facebook activity um, privacy feature. Did you get a chance to hear about that one? I've seen quite a lot of headlines about it, but I haven't actually read anything about it. I've been quite busy this week, um, so I'm keen to hear all about it from you right now. Yeah, so it was really interesting. Uh, It's kind of Facebook's take on empowering their users to really kind of own their privacy although there are a couple of few little gray areas that I wanted to touch base on. So essentially, um, we a couple of weeks ago mentioned that Facebook had rolled out a feature that would allow users to see what brands have uploaded their email addresses um, and have used that for ad targeting in the past 90 days. So at the time, that was a pretty big announcement from Facebook. So they've kind of gone one step further than this now with this new off Facebook activity feature. Um, And what it allows users to do is actually see a full summary of the data that brands have stored on them. So this could include things like um, events on their website, any pixel data, um, and in particular, login sessions where the user has actually used Facebook authentication. Um, So what this tool will actually do is show you how many data points a brand has on you as a user. So it'll show you a list of every brand that has data on you and a particular number based on yeah how many data points they have on you. Um, and this new tool kind of gave the impression that it would allow users to own their data and kind of remove what brands had um, on them within the platform, but it's actually just a tool to disconnect that. Um, so what that means is that um, I, as a user, could choose to disconnect from a particular brand that has data on me Um, which means that they wouldn't be able to target me with ads based on that particular, um, the events that I've done in the application, or let's say I was fitting into a custom audience, like I wouldn't be involved in that anymore. But it doesn't mean that that brand has deleted that data. They would still have that. Um, Now, this was a little bit shady in a sense, because what this means is that if you were using Facebook authentication for an app, which I myself do, I have a fitness tracking app um, and I use Facebook authentication to get into it, um, which is just a really streamlined way to register an account as soon as I started using it. Um, now, if I was to remove uh, or disconnect my data from this app, it would then remove that Facebook authentication, which means that it would potentially disconnect any data that I had in my account, so any of my previous runs in this case. Um, And also just I'd have to create a whole new account using a different authentication. Um, And let's say the average user might have forgotten that they used a Facebook authentication the first time, so they might just end up in kind of the loophole of just registering another account with Facebook authentication, which as the brand hasn't had to delete the data, they'd easily just be able to restore that user's data that they had and kind of continue targeting them in the way that they were. Um, So I don't really see this being anything major, to be honest. I think that Facebook's kind of just published this as a um, bit of a glory story to kind of just show that they're trying to empower their users and really own their privacy. But when you really look into it a little bit deeper, um, there were, as I mentioned, a couple, a few areas where it just, yeah, it kind of seemed too good to be true at the time, and I think it was. You mentioned there about um, um, you know, it, if you're using the social logins, like the one-click login with Facebook buttons. Um, I actually just deactivated my Facebook account not long ago, and that was I've been thinking about doing it for quite a long time actually. But that was one th- one reason that I didn't is there's a few services that I use a login to face uh, login with Facebook button, 
And I thought, oh, well, if I get rid of my Facebook account, I won't be able to log into those services. But I just bit the bullet and did it. And I found, as a tip for anyone else out there that's encountering problems with that, um, if you go to login to whatever service, um, instead of clicking on the login with Facebook button, just go to login normally, put in your email address, the same email address that you would have used as your Facebook profile email address, and then hit forgot your password. And that will usually work to actually email you a link to reset your password. But it because it's using the same email address, it usually links you up with the same account. So that's what I found anyway. Yeah, no, it's actually really useful to be honest. And yeah, try that if you uh, want to kind of have a bit more of a stringent overview of your privacy, like that's the best way to do it. Um, the other big news that happened in the week um, was, of course, around one of my new favorite platforms, TikTok. Um, so it just wouldn't be an episode of the podcast if I didn't drop a TikTok mention in here. So um, TikTok has been in talks of building its own self-serving ad platform. Um, but this week, it finally released its first um, way of incorporating a uh, social commerce aspect into the platform. So what this meant for brands were that any brand that was paying to promote a TikTok hashtag challenge, um, they could now include a catalog of relevant products within uh, the hashtag page, um, and it would just be in a separate tab, um, which was just called a discover page. So you would essentially see all the content that users had submitted for that hashtag challenge. And then you could just go over to the next tab and shop any relevant products um, with that particular hashtag. Um, and this kind of follows Instagram's movement where they were starting to obviously introduce uh, things like shoppable posts and shoppable tags and stories. And, and they're soon to deploy the um, native checkout within the platform on posts as well too, uh, which of course was the one downside here with TikTok. So they, um, if you wanted to view a product or actually purchase a product, it did redirect you to um, the brand's third-party site, so you weren't able to um, view that additional content within TikTok's platform itself. But for an introductory experience, for this is the first time TikTok's ever tried to really kind of help brands monetize directly on the platform, um, I think it was really good to see, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing um, what that can mean for other B2C brands in particular that want to target a younger audience. Um, I can definitely see brands creating their own hashtag challenges around particular products um, and then, yeah, monetizing those featured products through there directly. So super excited to see that one. And, of course, I'll throw a link in the show notes so you can see the example that was used. And the last thing I wanted to mention, it's probably not as relevant as it should be for digital marketers, um, but I just wanted to touch base on it was um, some new updates to Google's privacy settings for um, particularly publishers in this case. So they're updating a limit to the amount of API calls that a uh, web client can send to a user to track their cookies. So essentially this means that it just limits how much data a brand can get on a user's uh, cookies. So they were setting a, a data budget, as they called it. So a brand could um, request uh, data from a user up to a particular threshold. And then once they've gone over that threshold, they weren't able to request any more data beyond that. So what that means is that they could get an, uh, a general overview of who the user was that they were targeting so they could make a personalized experience. Um, but they weren't able to acquire any more data above and beyond that just so that like they weren't getting data that was unnecessary. 
Um, now, they kind of pushed this as a good thing at the time, but when, again, I looked into it, to me it just seemed like it was a way to encourage publishers to start sharing third-party data with each other. Um, I could imagine that certain publishers might request certain particular types of data and others might request other data and they might start aggregating that into I don't know, like a data warehouse or something like that. Um, but, yeah, it was just good to see, though, that Google, looking at for end users in this case, um, were trying to help them, again, really kind of maintain their privacy settings. Um, and if you're a brand, what this means to you is that you just need to really start to understand what data you need to deliver your, I guess, MVP of a product. So, like, what's the minimal amount of data you need to service a user in the best way possible without going over the top? So, Again, it'll be really interesting to follow this one. It's still in pretty early stages at the moment. Um, and there was greater talks about things like fingerprinting and things like that online where brands can like request de-identifiable de data about you. Um, but I won't go into that too much. But yeah, they were just the three, I guess, top things that I wanted to touch base on this week. Did you have anything else you wanted to cover, Luke? We've tried to keep this nice and short, and I think we actually have done it for the first time ever. No, I think that's um, the main main couple of points from this week. There were a few other little updates, but nothing major. So, yeah, let us know what you think of the new format with us picking out a few highlight, highlights from the week um, and how they might apply to you. And, of course, if you, like Lachlan said, give us a rating and a review on your podcast platform of choice. Um. Of course, if you want to get in touch with us and give us any feedback or if you have any questions, um, you can reach me at Lachlan Kirkwood on Twitter and at www.lachlankirkwood.com. And where can they find you, Luke? At lukechapman.com.au or on Twitter is the best place, at Digital Peddler. They certainly won't find you on Facebook anymore, will they? Not anymore. And that is the end of episode 13. Uh, be sure to tune in same time next week for another digital deep dive.